Before I invite our children to their children's activity, I'd like to have them wait just a couple of minutes. Um, and I'm going to invite a couple of our youth to come forward. Uh, Grant Perkins and Landon Siddig are going to come forward. We are starting a new series. Come on up here, guys. I know Grant's coming down from the balcony. We are starting a new series this week, and uh, it is based upon... Come on right up here. It is based upon the book of Jonah. And uh, some of our youth who will participate in our Bible quizzing ministry here are in the process of learning the book of Jonah and the second half of Luke throughout the course of this year. Uh, so some of the youth have already begun to memorize uh, these scriptures. Uh, and what I've asked for uh, a lead-in today is for them to share with you. I've asked these two gentlemen here. Uh, this is Grant. This is Landon, just so you can clarify. Uh, they're going to quote uh, Luke, uh, Jonah chapter 1 for you as a lead-in to my sermon today. So Grant's going to start, and then Landon will pick it up from there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he headed... He went aboard and headed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Uh, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he would take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, so they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will all become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they picked Jonah up and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord commanded a huge fish, and it swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Children, you can follow downstairs for your... Time with Kids Jam and Children's Church if you're interested in going. Be children K through fifth grade. They're going to be looking and studying the story of Jonah as well. So any adults that end up down there, you're going to get it whether you're there or here. So we'll have a good time together. 
Not many of us here today think we have enemies. Yet, if we're truly honest with ourselves, there are a lot of people that make us squirm. In fact, there are probably a lot of people who scare us. There are some people, dare we admit it, that we think might even be beyond God's love. Maybe a member of ISIS, a drug dealer that preys on children, a child molester, a porn star, an abusive husband. Try to think of yourself as an American slave being told to deliver a message of repentance and salvation to the Ku Klux Klan. Pretend you're an anti-abortion, right-wing conservative being told to offer redemption and hope to the progressive left-wing liberals who support abortion. Pretend you're an African-American being told to offer hope and repentance to predominantly white conservative evangelicals who voted for Trump and don't seem to understand that black lives matter. Pretend your family has been a victim of violence and you're told to offer hope and repentance to your attackers. Are you getting the idea? You see, we can't appreciate the book of Jonah until we see ourselves in his story. When we walk through life with milk toast for breakfast, and I think you know what I mean, God loves everyone, I don't hate anyone, God has a hope and a plan and a future for everyone, but we fail to confront our feelings and our beliefs about the real difficult people in our world. The ones that make us uncomfortable. The ones that make us squirm. We don't really get what God was up to with Jonah. You see, Jonah, one of the 12 minor prophets, is not so much about a prophecy, but about a person. A person that represents you and me more than we want to admit. It's about how God interacts with that person to accomplish something significant. But in the process, it's about unrelenting love. In the face of unrelenting discomfort. And ultimate hope, despite our own misunderstandings. Jonah, the book, the story, is deep. Like the water he sank into. Way more deep than children's stories we learn in Sunday school. And in case anyone doubts, Jesus not only referenced Jonah, but used his story as one of only four prophets that he named personally during his life on the earth. Jesus knew Jonah was real. Therefore, we know that his story is real, and it makes even more important makes it even more important that we really understand him. Some of us can relate to being told to do something that we didn't want to do. What's that thing in your life? 
Maybe it's your health and your diet. Maybe it's your relationship with your wife or husband and a change that needs to be made. Maybe it's a job and a calling that you know is on your life and you've been running from it because you're afraid of what it means for your ability to take care of yourself and your family. Maybe it's about money and tithing. Maybe it's about church and investing your time and talents. Maybe it's about your times of devotion, study, prayer, and scripture memorization. Maybe it's a call to missions or even vocational Christian ministry. Maybe it's time to forgive. Maybe God is bringing something to your mind even now. What will your response be? You know, we can try to run, as Jonah did, but there's nowhere really to escape God, is there? Psalm 139 says it this way, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. We also put others in danger when we try to run away from God's purposes. The only thing we can really do is ask that God would deal with us individually, but it will likely cost others significantly in the journey. Think about the poor sailors caught up in this terrible storm. Even Jonah knew he served a God who made the land and the sea. So who are you hurting? Or at least putting in harm's way through your own willful disobedience. Some of us can relate to the consequences of disobedience. Maybe it's points on a license or paying fines or broken relationships or lost investments or stress and anxiety and fear. The Bible is full of stories of willful disobedience, isn't it? Let's just start with Adam and Eve. They were told not to eat off of a certain tree. And what did they do? The very thing they weren't supposed to do. Lot's wife was told not to look back at the city she was leaving behind and she couldn't help herself. She paid the ultimate price. Moses disobeyed God and he didn't get to enter the promised land. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years due to their disobedience. Peter denying Jesus. There's more modern examples, right? Uh, Think of somebody like Richard Nixon 
August 9th, 1974, became the only sitting president to ever resign from the presidency over his own disobedience and misuse and abuse of the law. Martha Stewart, convicted in 2004 for lying about insider trading, serving five months in prison. Pete Rose, baseball fans out there, probably never going to be elected to the Hall of Fame because of his addiction to gambling and gambling on his own games and other games. Yours and my disobedience have consequences. We can't always overturn it. Jonah is told to go to the great city of Nineveh. You know, that alone would have made Jonah wince with pain. Nineveh? He was not a fan of the surrounding nations. He was pro-Israel. He was pro-Northern Kingdom at the time and a nationalist and uh, someone who looked out for his own people. The great city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the ultimate Gentile enemy. It was an apostate city, apostate as any city there ever was. Militarily, the Assyrians were barbaric, brutal people, inflicting some of the harshest punishments upon their victims. Beheadings and tearing out tongues and brutal treatment of women and on and on and on. And the city of itself was known for its immorality, even known for its commerce and trade and other cultural elements, but these were not Jonah's people. It's not hard to see why he wouldn't want to go, though we're really not told explicitly why he didn't want to go. But I think there's a pretty good reason for that. I think the idea is that Jonah is not like, not unlike us, sometimes stuck in our ways, sometimes stuck in our own views of the world. And sometimes God interrupts it all and challenges us to do some things that confront both our view of God and our view of the people and the circumstances that surround us. What might make you not do something that you're pretty sure God is telling you to do? There's probably many reasons we wouldn't do it or we wouldn't go somewhere. Uh, probably right at the top of the list is that it doesn't, it goes against what I believe. It goes against what I think is right. Certainly that was the case for Jonah, wasn't it? Why would I go to the great city of Nineveh, those barbaric enemies of Israel? Maybe it goes against what you've been taught being asked to do something that goes a little bit against the grain. Maybe it just makes you uncomfortable. God's telling you to do something and you just get a little bit awkward about it. Maybe it even goes so far as to make you angry. We'll read about that as we go along in our story of Jonah. Jonah got really angry. Maybe it forces me to make a change that I'm not quite ready to make. Maybe it, it forces me to embrace some people that really, truly make me uncomfortable. 
Whether it's going to a place or simply changing our minds, our perspectives, our views of the things that are important, God really wants us to see things his way. His ways are higher than our ways, says the scripture. He has a mind that is different than ours, and it takes time to conform to his will and way. But many of us still will choose to run away or just not deal with it, maybe even trying to escape. I want you to notice a couple of interesting things, facts about Jonah's attempted escape. Number one, he didn't go to the closest city to his hometown. It says he went down to Joppa. He had to actually pass another port or two on his way to Joppa. He was really trying to get away. It says when he got there to Joppa, he found a ship that was bound for the port he was trying to reach. Tarshish was the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, 2,500 miles to the other direction. It says he found a ship. And one of the things that we miss in our current translations is the word he paid the fare. In the Hebrew, that's actually a feminine word. And really, it needs to be translated as he paid her fare. And you can think about that in the context of the fact that we often refer to ships as female ships, right? She's a good one, right? She's a sturdy one. She's, you think of your, you can sometimes, we name our car after a female, you know, whatever it is, right? But that's the idea is in the Hebrew, they're trying to get at, he paid that whole ship's fare. It wasn't just he paid his fare. He really wanted to get out of town and he was ready for that ship to break port. So he paid the whole fare and said, let's get going. He heads to Tarshish. From the eastern side of the Mediterranean all the way, Tarshish's supposed to be in the southern end of Spain. That's where they think it was. That's a long way away. And the interesting thing is, he tells the sailors, I worship the God of heaven who made the sky and, you say it, the sea. What? I'm going to escape this God by going over the sea? Like it What's going through his head? Clearly, he just wants to get away. But God revealed how much he cares for him by going after him. You see, when God wants us to do something and we choose to run from it, to not follow through, we're really the ones that are missing out on that blessing. And that benefit. Because God ultimately accomplishes his purposes. We can be sure of that. He just invites us to be a part of it. And if we're lucky, he won't let us get away. Let me put this all in a little bit more context for you today. Let's think about God and the great city of Rochester. This city has seen some tremendous revivals over the years. Charles Finney and others have come through this area, so much so that we became known as the Burned Over District because so many revivals have come through this area and other parts of upstate and western New York. 
This church, New Hope, was planted in the city of Rochester with a vision to touch and to transform this city. You and I, by being a part of this community, by being people of New Hope, we're part of a calling that transcends our own personal journey. God's call to your life and mine is rooted in a context of his concern for this great city of Rochester. Yes, there are numerous things that he may be asking us to do that will benefit us personally. But our call and our challenge is to win this great city over to Jesus Christ that he might rule and reign and change might be realized right here and right now today. I want you to imagine for a moment that God has called you here for just such a purpose. What has he equipped you to do and asked you to do? And how are you or have you responded? Jonah's ultimate act of defiance, proving his own self-centeredness, was his attempt at death by being thrown overboard. Yet, even then, God provided a way out. And he will do the same for you. You see, at the heart of this story is God's love. His love for his people in the great city of Nineveh and his love for Jonah. Along the way, many people repented as well including some unsuspecting sailors, a king, and a whole bunch of people under the king's care. God's love shines through his story and allows us to reflect on his role, his interaction, and his intervention in our lives. The pattern of God's methods, as shown to us in Jonah, is to engage us, ask something of us, and then pursue us until that thing gets accomplished. I suspect that each of us can relate to that pattern. I suspect each of us right now should be turning our attention a little bit inward as we explore the very thing that we may be running from. Running from what we know. Maybe running from the people we're called to reach the investment that we're called to make, the vision that we've been given, or maybe the personal changes that we're avoiding. God loves us too much to leave us on that journey alone. Today, this is your call, your challenge to let you know that when God moves you out of your comfort zone, your life and the life he calls you to, it'll never be the same. And that's a good thing. The question is, will you embrace the call? Will you engage with God? Will you go his direction, not the opposite way? Will you do the hard work he's asking you to do? He loves you, and he loves those outside of this church and in this great city of Rochester.
Let's pray. God, what are you inviting new hope? Me and all of us to participate in today? Who are we to engage? What do I need to change? Please don't leave us alone until we follow through. Change our hearts. Call us to action. Allow us, Lord Jesus, to be part of your work, of your vision, of your plan, of your purpose. We love you, Lord, the best way we know how. But sometimes what you call us to is hard. Sometimes you challenge us and it's uncomfortable. Teach us, Lord, how to trust you more, how to engage with you, how to surrender. Speak to us, Lord, over the next several minutes as we prepare our hearts to receive the elements today. Lord, I pray that you will move upon us, whether through conviction or encouragement or through reminder, through challenge, through hope, through vision. Lord, you know each and every heart and mind here and you know how to touch us right where we need to be touched. And so I pray today, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will prepare us, that we will be prepared to reconnect with you through the elements that we receive in just a few minutes. Your body and your blood as reminders of the invitation to a life that transcends our own understanding, to a life that is lived really outside of the bounds of time because your kingdom has come and your will is and will be accomplished here on this earth. You simply invite us to be a part of it and enjoy it with you. So Lord, may we reconnect with that today. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.